we would like to welcome you today to another episode of uh, Disciple Life, the Bible, and Everyday Life. Uh, I am Carlos Garduño, your host, and right next to me on the screen, you see Pastor Dan Newberg, the teaching pastor, lead pastor here at First Baptist Church Divine. Brother, today we continue with our theme, which is to look into what you brought us on Sunday morning uh, during both the uh, eight. 30 a.m. as well as the 11 o'clock service uh, or services, I should say. And so you covered with us, why do we face difficulties? And the topic behind that particular question is the Advent Sunday theme of peace. peace. And so as we look into that, um, I have a feeling that people were kind of taken aback by the uh, the title, um, Difficulties in Peace. So uh, why don't you kind of introduce uh, the studying time and, and how you landed there? Sure. Um, so one of the challenges in um, bringing together uh, some of our focus this year uh, around the the chronological study of the Bible that we've committed to this year and then in <clears throat> incorporating the commitment to Advent uh, and those uh, thematical or topical focuses um, while still desiring to to do uh, expository uh, preaching is you don't necessarily wind up in the uh, the more traditional Advent literature in Scripture. Uh, right. So your field of play is much narrower. And at this time of year, we are well within the uh, the epistles of the New Testament. And so mm-hmm. uh, as we've been working towards those ends, uh, I recognize uh, the the peace that Christ uh, Christ brings. And I also recognized that this is a season where we experience many aspects of uh, of life that are opposite of peace. And um, what I felt led to present to the congregation was um, a just sinking our teeth into the hard aspects of life, um, and uh, which is maybe the counter of peace altogether. Um, And calling us to find peace in God's sovereignty in those affairs and permitting those events to occur within our lives uh, for his purposes, uh, for his kingdom, so that we may find peace in a sovereign God who is not surprised by the difficulties we face and is, in fact, um, leveraging those to grow us as disciples. That sounds great. I I do appreciate the fact that as you as you are doing this commitment to preaching through Scripture, as we continue to read through the Bible, that we see um, the glimmers of hope and peace that Christ uh, provides for us. So that I think that was very interesting uh, and very beneficial to our church family and those who listen online. One of the things that uh, as you opened the sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 through 11 that you really um, hooked me with is that it's not war that's the opposite of peace, but it's the presence of chaos. And so as 
I know we're going to go and try to hit something on the nose, but what, how, how is it that the world stands in contrast to script, to the scriptures as we live in a world that appears to be peaceful, but really is in chaos? Well, I, I actually want to ask, where is peace in the world? Okay. So let's go with that question. Um, I mean, we can, uh, uh, we can point easily to armed conflict in Eastern Europe right now uh, between Russia and the Ukraine as an example of the lack of peace um, in the example of war. Uh, we can look to the Middle East uh, to find examples of uh, uh, armed aggression between tribal groups. Um, but we can also look right here within our own backyards to find that there is a uh, a, a nature of chaos, uh, a, a nature of disorder, um, and an example of a really politicized uh, uh, happening uh, within our uh, within our context, and that's this border crisis that we face. Um, <clears throat> without going down the, the the political narrative paths, we should recognize that. Every life, be it those who are, are seeking to come into this nation, those who are uh, being enlisted uh, because they are um, law enforcement personnel, um, they're being refocused from what their, their particular vocational focus should be. For example, even Texas game wardens are being enlisted to do um, border protection type of uh, responsibilities. Um, right. The, 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 the farmers and ranchers of our area, we're all subject to the disorder that arounds this border issue. Um, I don't intend to, to begin to even offer solutions, uh, to that particular issue, but so much as raise it to say there's chaos. Uh, there's chaos that ensues right here in and amongst us. Uh, maybe we're not in tune with that, uh, very greatly. Um, but the, the the reality of it is that many lives from di many different perspectives are being uh, drug into something that is quite chaotic in nature. Um, folks are are being presented potentially the the message that there is great hope um, if they if they make it across, um, if they can just find their way. Uh, that may or may not be fully true for them. Uh, it certainly it's it's a more optimistic than the failed states that they're leaving. Um, but it may not be the pie in the sky that may have been embellished for them. Uh, and equally, uh, there are folks who didn't sign up uh, to, for what they're being asked or tasked to do. Uh, and right. that aside, there are generational, uh, generation, generationally held lands that are being raised um, just between fence lines and gates and everything else. It's, it's, why chaotic? So I ask the question, where is their peace? And, and, I, and I raise it that way because even our understanding of peace as the culture defines is not the peace of God. Um, we, we define peace as the lack of conflict and peace, according to scripture, is God's shalom, God's perfectness, God's completeness, 
um, God's providence, God's uh, provision, all of these, the essence of God, right? Um, right? We find in scripture that God is not a God of disorder. And so it's it's out of the, the absence of chaos that is God's shalom. And so we we are not in God's shalom in any sense of the imagination. Um, we may, but for moments, uh, feel as though we we are uh, experiencing that shalom, but it's fleeting, man. Uh, right. That aside, the world only knows chaos. Right, and and I think that is why um, I think. If I could take a guess as to the audience's reaction to that quote, it was probably something of a new concept because we are not necessarily accustomed to think of war not being the contrary notion of peace uh, and to actually understand that there's chaos um, as the real culprit, the, the foundational difference between peace and anything else especially now you introduce the word shalom which you a little later into the the particular sermon you actually tell us that it is the is the not, not ethereal because i don't want to make it sound like it's not attainable but it is the perfect state in which we can expect to be in eternity with god total completeness everything is as, as it should be when I was, you made me, you made me reach for my Bible. That's like the first time that you made me reach I like for the Bible when, when we're doing this. Um, but if you just, if you're looking for the introduction of, of God in contrast to chaos, mm -hmm. you need not go further than the opening verses of Genesis. Right. Um, you find in there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse one. Verse two, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, in Hebrew, or in the Hebraic culture, the, the concept of water was uh, symbolism for chaos. And so you see that even just two verses in, the contrast between God and his shalom um, hovering over the face of chaos, which was the, the dark and formless void that was the absence of any creation. Um, it, uh, it's, it's, it's there from the beginning, and it will be here through the end of time as we know it. Right. And, and I, just car carrying that particular line of thought, soul words, let there be light, light. Let there be a division between the bodies of water, creating essentially the oceans in, or the waters below and the waters above, created just by sheer power of his voice, and everything comes into order. Uh, and we see that order being disrupted by the serpent. After all creation has been established, the universe is, is set in, in its place, balanced to support life, and then Adam is created, Eve is created as a helper for Adam, and now comes the serpent saying, Wait a minute, did God truly say this? It's almost like coming back with this idea of let me let me reintroduce the chaos into this beautiful order. And so following that line of thought, because we believe that there's a crimson thread between Genesis and Revelation, how does Christmas bring us back 
to the order that was intended in the garden before Satan, the serpent, in intruded. Well, it, what, it begins to bring us back. It begins to bring us back because God is present amongst us. Um, right. The that that it's it's God's presence um, that that is the indicator that it is bringing us back to to an Edenic state. Now we're not fully there. Well, we will not be there until Christ returns. Um, but it begins to put us on that pathway or that trajectory because God is present amongst us. He's right. present amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. Which I, I found. So one of the ways that I am able to discern just in the in, in the course of life through Sundays is when we don't talk about what you're preparing for Sunday. We don't. You, you study in, at, in your office, you study at home and you just tell us this is the title. This is the text. But everyone is introduced, even the pastoral team and the, the office team, the support, the ministry support staff. We are presented this message on a Sunday morning at 8.30 or 11. One of the things that we studied um, in Sunday school as we are getting into uh, the winter uh, segment for Liveway uh, is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Cool. And so... That kind of that actually connected quite well with the sermon because, yeah, go go figure, right? You don't talk to the pastor about what he's going to preach, and God brings everything together. So you pulled out your Bible, I pull out my Bible. Uh, by the way, dear audience, if you are looking for a great resource to use, I recommend to you, uh, and no one's giving us any royalties for these. This is just these are good Bibles. Uh, the Reformation Study Bible, uh, it's in the ESV. And this is the condensed version, easy to handle compared to the regular size one. Uh, John chapter 1 says this. Here we are. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came, came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this resonates with the point of God is beginning to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament through the advent, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it's it's really uh, it's amazing to see how everything interweaves even on a Sunday morning. Sure. So that's just a testament to how God works. Um, coming back to the sermon, um, you provided us the illustration of the rooster puzzle, and I think we need some levity into this. Um, that's Kellogg's man, Kellogg's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it was a very good illustration because. I think, and this is a point of discussion, I think that we as humans cannot see sometimes the forest for the trees or some people vice versa, the trees for the forest. Uh, when it comes to spiritual realities, when it comes to what the world uh, offers as counterfeit uh, peace, uh, 
So I do have a question because as I understood it, and please feel free to, to speak to this, honey, just, just put the, put the cereal back in the box. Okay. That's, that's, that's not a puzzle. What are some of the cornflakes that the world believes are the real puzzle pieces? Self-help uh, gurus, 10 steps to fixing my life. Um, uh, that kind of um, what in Christian circles we would call flavors of Gnosticism, advanced aspects of wisdom and, and things. Um, there, there is so much that speaks to um, our psychological and emotional states that preys on those things, really that present themselves as truth, but are really nothing more than cornflakes and not puzzle pieces and seeking to assemble uh, a meaningful life. Um, oh, I had something in mind and it just left me. <laughs> Sorry, feeble brain. Um, Contagious. <laughs> so, but, um, but it's, uh, it's things of those nature uh, of that nature that, that the world presents as solutions to life's problems or the, the pieces that you need that will help fill in the gaps of your puzzle of life. Um, when all along it's a life absent, first of all, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And second of all, the word of God that is, uh, that is authoritative for your life and would give you direction uh, in, in your life. It's absent. Those things, the spirit of God, who indwells you, uh, every element of that uh, would be the, the pieces that are missing uh, when we're born. And I, I definitely agree with all of those things. I wonder, do you think that, um, or would you agree that also counterfeits of Christ um, or sure. counterfeit understandings of Christ fit into that? Sure, absolutely. And it was actually... Um, saying that a different way but but yes counterfeit um gospels counterfeit counterfeit christs um i was thinking of a modern um heresy that is called moralistic therapeutic deism um, right. which uh is a a heresy that comes uh from christian pulpits um that don't that don't result in an awareness of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ um, in our inability, um, mm -hmm. but would be more like um, an appeasement to our emotion and or my emotional or psychological state that is a counterfeit gospel and would seek to twist scripture and just make us feel okay and better about ourselves. Um, right. It there, I think of, um, the, what, what we know is the promises of scripture. Um, you know, there, there are direct promises that God extends to his people. Uh, th those promises, um, have expiration dates. If I can say it that way, sometimes those promises are extended specifically to the people of Israel. And those promises are not in effect for the New Testament believer, but yet they're espoused as promises that we can claim. Um, at right now as believers and um, that all we need to do is have a little more faith or be a little bit better or give a little more money and we can claim that promise that for example God wants to prosper me and you brother Carlos um, 
it, that those counterfeit aspects of uh, of an anti gospel or a, a, a counterfeit gospel um, that just build our sense of self up when um, the call for each of us is to empty ourselves before the one who emptied himself for us. Right. So in, in, in agreement with that, I wonder if you would take us back to second Corinthians chapter one and give us a little bit of uh, biblical knowledge, not just uh, our own discussion, which uh, of course that's what we're doing here, but what and but and and what is the background for the apostle Paul, who is the author of this letter to the church in Corinth? What was he going through as he penned this particular letter through his secretary? Sure. So the um, context between First and Second Corinthians, uh, you know, things have changed a little bit. Um, first Corinthians, he writes to a church uh, based upon inquiries made to him about, hey, should is this kosher in church to be going on? That's first Corinthians. And he addresses the non kosher things going on there. Um, in second Corinthians, he's he's letting them know this church that he's he planted, this church uh, who he has deep relationships with. What he's been dealing with. Um, as he's continued to serve as a church planter, um, as we might call it today, a, a, a Christian missionary throughout uh, throughout Asia and and Europe, um, just the trials and adversities uh, that he is facing and that he has faced. Um, and if you were thinking about just the maturation of the of the disciples of Christ between First and Second Corinthians. Um, it's almost as if that first letter is to more infant believers, almost like the same way that we may uh, paddle the bottom of our of our children uh, in their in their younger years to correct them. Um, but now he's he's presenting to these disciples some deeper things, almost in a reflective sense, because um, we do know that this is beginning to trend towards the end of Paul's ministry and Paul's life. Um, uh, you know, in the final few years where this is penned, that uh, that he's now speaking not in so much or so great uh, of corrective means, but this is the nuts and bolts of ministry. And it's not easy, folks. Um, it's in fact, at times I wanted to I thought I was going to die. Right. Um, which if you take all of that into consideration. Um, the apostle is face has faced up to this point, uh, being kicked out of cities, um, in his conversion experience being, uh, pushed aside or to the fringe because he was killing Christians and imprisoning them, the persecution of Christians. Not only that, after after being uh, becoming a disciple, after being affirmed to be an apostle to the church, um, he goes and he's beaten multiple times. He is shipwrecked. Uh, he also comes and uh, faces all sorts of accusations everywhere he goes because he turns the world upside down by his preaching of this Jesus Christ, the, the resurrection of the dead. How can a reader like you and I, 
or even someone who listens to the sermons on Sundays or someone who comes and congregates with us at First Baptist Church Divine, how can we perceive the peace that Paul is writing about in these passages? How can we perceive it? Or better yet, how can how can we throw out that particular element of peace from Scripture? Sure. Um, so, where I see Paul communicating just in the in the three or four verses from our, our passage yesterday, his peace is found in the God who resurrects the dead. His peace is found in the God in whom he trusts. And so it's it's a great statement of faith that elicits to him uh, the peace that he was absent in these moments of great despair and concern for his life. Um, God has shown himself faithful. Uh, God has shown himself to be uh, Paul's great deliverer. And he's almost confessing uh, in this in this passage that he struggled um, in and is confessing that in these moments, it was chaotic. And God led him to that and through that so that Paul would have no one else to rely on but God. And because of that, it's my conclusion, there's a peace that Paul has. Um, it's a peace that will propel him to continue his missionary journeys to Rome. Uh, he's always intended to go to Spain. Um, it's not believed that he made it there. Um, but it's this peace that is fostered <laughs> through adversity um, that Paul has that permits him to continue and propels him to continue um, so that if given an audience, he would speak to Caesar, um, that he would go to the hearts of opposition to the Christian movement. Um, right. And proclaim the gospel, for lack of a better term, right in their face. Um, and he has a peace about that, knowing that even if it even in declaring no, Caesar, you are not Lord. Jesus is. He has a peace that whatever may come from that, because God has already delivered him. And God is delivering him. And because of that, he knows that God will deliver him. It just may not mean in this body right or within our understanding of time right which that connects to another point you made that i i pray and hope people received and spent a little bit of time thinking about it you said during um the sermon something to the effect of we've heard these things spoken as gospel truth god helps those that helps themselves that help themselves and another one of those uh Pithy sayings that people you try to encourage that you can handle. Right. How, number one, the first question that comes to mind is, as a loving Christian, how can anyone in our audience refute that in grace and love? You just speak truth. If you hear that stuff, say, just ask lovingly, please share with me the book and chapter and verse that you draw that from what what story from scripture what letter 
actually says this? Or is this something that is, that's become a coffee mug thing that is said amongst Christian circles that is a euphemism that is not biblical? Right. I would just ask, chapter and verse. I mean, and I realize that that may be offensive in asking so directly. But we have to, to we have to directly engage with lies. Right. We do. We can't ignore them. Right. And so that's how we can engage when we hear those things. What? Uh, because I'm and I'm just wondering here. As we come across people who who have that mentality and how can we encourage them to understand that peace, comfort, joy, all of the things that come with knowing God are not necessarily what the world holds to be peace, comfort, and mercy and love. Um, because again, the world is not God and God is not the world. So how can we encourage people um, to set themselves before the Father even if it's uncomfortable at first, to find true peace. Well, Carlos, I, I I would say it's probably where I went uh, towards the end of the message, um, and maybe that's where you're you're trying to draw me to. Um, but it's it's owning those scars from our existence and laying ourselves bare before the Father first. And and thanking him for them, frankly, good. Um, thanking him for them, and then as a uh, as a consequence of that gratitude for those scars, then um, in asking God for for wisdom on when uh, on when to share them, frankly, um, and and really not that God needs permission. Um, maybe this isn't the right language. But asking God to create opportunities for those scars to become gospel um, launch pads. Right. And yes, thank you for for actually delivering a touchdown on that setup. I appreciate it. Um, the reason being is a lot of like, for example, a very loved, a loved individual in my life does not like showing scars. And she and this individual hates it. She, she, it's a she, she hates that, you know, she, she has, uh, she's had medical procedures. She hates that she's dealt with things. And as a result, there are scars that are visible and she despises that. And, and I, I'm fairly confident to say that most people do not like scars. Now, if you're anything like guys, uh, which was one of your points, you show off, you know, wounds that. You maybe have gotten when you were playing football or you were playing basketball, baseball, you name it, because they have well, a cool story behind them. There's a T-shirt that kids wear, right? Chicks dig scars. So, yeah. Guys I did not know that. that. I, yeah, I, I never. I, I took an opportunity to, to Western <laughs> Americanize you with that one. Well, thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because your boys, uh, now I know to get them those T-shirts, by the way. Oh, um, Anyway. I'm more concerned now with the, the fact that if they get scars, the girls are going to be coming, calling. Anyway, <clears throat> coming back to the real meat and potatoes of this particular thing. 
what are some easy, uh, not easy, but what are some acceptable? Let me, let, let me, let me just say this, particularly if, if we're addressing, um, let me just address this in a general way. I'm, Go for I'm it. not speaking to, to male or female, just sure. in a general way. If our identity, if our sense of self-worth, if our sense of being is drawn from or laid by temporal things like our physiques, then we're, we've invested in something that is fleeting. So when we talk about the physical scars, I talked about the one that's on my thumb. I can't even see yep. it. There's like a notch there. You see it? Um, if I, if I Barely. was, anyway, um, <laughs> I've, I've accrued things, um, that come with mileage, uh, uh or, you, you know, revolutions around the sun, no different than there's wear and tear on the vehicles that we drive, uh, that, that are associated with the amount of miles we have on the road. Right. Things just accrue. They right. do. But if if our value, uh, this is actually a really really good way to associate it. Let me come back to let me let me focus on the on the vehicle example. You know, I, sure. I have I have a 2006 Toyota 4Runner that has 263,000 miles on it. Um, I checked four or five months ago, and the Kelly Blue Book private sale value of that thing was like 6,700 bucks. It was really high for what I thought, uh, but 6,700 bucks. That's, and, but there's a condition factor to that, right? Like you can say that it's in pristine, like almost showroom condition. And if I felt like I had a vehicle that was pristine or showroom, the value of that vehicle, even with the age and mileage goes up. But if right. there's nicks, <clears throat> discoloration in paint or anything that would, um, say that the condition of it isn't as, uh, is appealing, um, then the value of that goes down within margins, right? It's almost as if we apply a Kelly Blue Book rating to us. Mm. And I need to, to, I guess at this point, make it clear that God is not Kelly Blue Book. He's not saying that Dan Newberg is worth 10 grand and Carlos Gardunio is worth 12. Um, he's saying, I paid the same price for them. Right. I was very happy to. I would have paid the right. price if it was just one of them. Right. Um, and that value is our image bearingness. The, the dignity that God has given us because he has made us in his image. Um, right. We are his creation. And so he has counted it all joy. Um, our value is not in the lack of uh, marring to our physical condition. Um, they may be things that we still haven't worked through in accepting. And that's something that maybe a message like yesterday's is is uh, a way in which God is inviting us who are struggling with those scars to come to accept and see as gospel witness, um, right. gospel launch pads, as I uh, said just a few minutes ago. Correct. Um, but they say nothing about your value in the eyes of God. And right. what I would also add to that, 
don't seek to uh, receive evaluation of who you are as a man or a woman from any other source right. than your creator, um, even yourself. Which, again, comes back to the what we've spoken about earlier with counterfeit uh, understandings of Christ, the gospel, or even God himself. Um, one of the things that really, really resonates is, yes, the idea that our scars, while they tell a story, they're not the value factors, which is where you just, you just finished with that particular answer. And I also like that. One of the things that we see in scripture time and time again, speaking to the concept of peace, is that when our the identity and the sole hero of our story is Christ, then we begin to see everything in new light because it's not the light of the world. It's not the light of man, but similar to John chapter one uh, or even Hebrews one or Colossians one, two and three. What we see here is that. It is the glorious light of Christ that then makes sense of everything because everything is rearranged into its intended way and given its intended purpose, which is to glorify him. Yeah. Um, with that being said, what would be some words of encouragement to the audience today um, on how to pursue God-given shalom? Start with gratitude. Thank God for your trials. Sing in the midst of your trials. Thank him and praise him. Start there. Paul is writing to this to this church and uh, reflecting upon his trials. Um. You read in also in Acts that Paul is imprisoned. Um, and in the course of the, the first night of being in prison, and you may say, well, it's just night number one. Let's see if he was in there for 15 years. But night number one, he's in prison and pretty certain that maybe tomorrow he's going to be executed. And he and the guy he's jailed with, they start singing hymns. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Um, in Christ alone, or on, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. No other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. They start singing, you know, 2000 year old versions of those songs. And in the course of their singing, the walls of that jail come down. Um, I believe not to completely allegorize this, but I believe that when we're praising God over the walls um, that we are building in our minds or that Satan is trying to assemble around us that would constrain us. Believe that when we're praising God and thanking God in the midst of our trials, that those walls all come tumbling down. And that is a first step in pursuing God's shalom in this life. Okay. So when the hard times come, praise him. When the difficulties uh, are presented to you, thank him. <clears throat> okay, I like it. So, what's step number two? I don't, man. Step number two. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. 
I I believe that it, speaking solely in, inside of the Christian context, just learn to depend on Christ Jesus. I mean, my, I mean, not everything is for naught. Uh, listening to podcasts, reading the Bible, coming to church, if you just do it for anything else other than to have a, a steady relationship with Christ, where you're not the one that's providing the steadiness, but where you trust in Christ, who is always steadfast, always faithful, all-sufficient, merciful, loving, kind, that 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 will again Romans twelve one we, you you've been you've been sharing with us quite often about this the renewing of our minds by immersing ourselves into Scripture by immersing ourselves into our relationship with Christ Jesus uh, through prayer and the Scriptures so I think that that would be in close uh, or quick succession from praising and thanking Him. And just simply, simply surrendering, saying, "Hey, this world has nothing to offer me as as wonderful as you do." So that that would be my thought to that. So awesome. But anyway, what do I know? I, I'm just here. I'm I'm hosting you, and, and you're the one that answers the questions. So, um. Let's see. I think we've covered pretty much everything. I, I know you gave us a number of things to focus on. For example, um, uh, we need to understand that suffering is a, is, can be a fertile ground for understanding peace. You also pointed out to us that there is a um, dependence that we need to have on God. We need to have a trust in God alone. And that we also need to have a community. Now, I would like us to spend some time there. Okay. Because I personally know a number of people who think, I don't need the church. I have my Bible. That's all I need. Okay. Um, what are some of the dangers of pursuing God's peace on our own? Well, um, your heart. And your mind will deceive you. So you will fall prey to those counterfeits every day of the week when you are alone and unaccountable to anyone. That's danger number one. Um, danger number two is alone. You will be subject to more intense attacks from the evil one. Um, that will um, the, those temptations that he lays before you will be even greater uh, and more difficult to to have victory over um, when you're alone. Um, right. We there there is great risk when you seek to live the Christian life outside of God's design for the Christian life. It's not to say that there are not legitimately and genuinely saved individuals. Um, who have um, what I would say uh, been uh, deceived uh, of mind to believing that they can do so, that they can then live the remainder of their days in isolation, if you will. Um, it's not to say that that's not impossible, um, right. but that is not God's design. 
uh, nowhere in Scripture would you find that evidenced or alluded to. Uh, in fact, what you would find in contrast to that are the frequent calls to gather, the frequent right. calls to live long, uh, live life alongside one another, um, the frequent calls um, to to trust um, in brothers and sisters to depend upon to call upon uh to to uh to share burdens with and so none of that occurs individually um and so an individual who would find himself or herself outside of god's design for christian life will just be pushing a noodle up a hill Mm. Cool. That that's a picture, and that pretty much describes it. So, um, do you have any other thoughts on on the sermon or anything else? Uh, no. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you're you're the you're the interrogator. So, um, man, tell me. interrogator. Yeah, man. What's up with that? Uh, well, I want to say congratulations. I, I believe this is a sign. Yes. Oh yeah, am I getting well, it? So just tighten up those middle fingers, you, you, and you got okay, to pronounce got the. the yeah. Got it. Like I don't know, it looks kind of weird for me, but anyway, Road Runners, way to go! And yeah, a, a second year in a row, Conference USA champions uh, that have a bid to the Cure Bowl uh, that will be played December sixteenth at three o'clock against Troy, um, number twenty-four, number twenty-five be a better game in terms of the competition than I think that that bowl is accustomed to. Um, so I think, uh, I think it'll be a good game. I wish it was not the very first game on the slate of, of bowl games, but anyway, <laughs> I think, uh, I think it, both of those schools deserve a better knob than that, but we'll roll with it. There you go. We won't, we will not address the fact that you being a, a road runner have a little bit of a bias there, but I agree with you. Dude, it's, I'm, a, I'm also, I mean, I, I, I do study it at, at Baylor's true at seminary and somehow Baylor got a, Sikom. they got a better bowl bid, if you will. I mean, at least later in the calendar year than, than UTSA did. And they, they were barely bowl eligible. So anyway, <laughs> money we talks. Won't, we man. Won't. That's not, yeah, that I was is, about to say chaos. NCAA. Yeah, that's chaos, but yeah. Anyway, now, uh, congratulations to the UTSA uh, football team and to the coach. I have a feeling that if, uh, if the trend continues, this program is going to see a very nice future. Yeah. Remember, folks, I'm not a prophet. I'm just calling them as I see them. I could be completely wrong. But so far, some good stuff. Um, before we sign out, I want to uh, give you, Pastor Dan, the opportunity Um should anyone watch this and they do not have a relationship with Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, what would your words be to them? I, I would start by asking, do you know him? What do you know about him? Um, and if you have heard about him, I would then ask, what keeps you? Um you know, there is, there is likely a, an emptiness within your life that you have yet to put your finger completely on, but mm. you know it and you acknowledge it. And what I would, what I would want you to know 
is that emptiness is what God in his word tells us is the eternity that God himself has put in our hearts. Um, and the absence of God's filling that eternity within us through a relationship with him, mm. um, we seek to fill that with anything uh, else that's absent God. Um, then right. that gets expressed in a lot of different ways. Um, for some, we feel that with alcohol. Uh, for others, we feel that with uh, other forms of drugs. For some, we feel that with uh, sex or pornography. Um, right. We feel that with um, maybe more acceptable things like uh vocational pursuits we want to be the best in our jobs um we if we're car salesmen we want to be number one in our dealership every month um and not to say that being the top salesman at, at our dealership is a bad thing um but if if we're seeking to fill this emptiness that i'm talking about that we haven't put our thumb on but we just know is there and we're and we're we're trying to build ourselves up and ignore this otherwise gaping hole. Um, we feel that in many different ways, monetary, sordid gain, sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol. All of those things will only leave you emptier than when you started. Um, in fact, Often I have found that when you start with one, you add some of the others to the mix because that one thing isn't satisfying. The scripture says uh, that it, we can taste and see. Uh, what I would extend to you is the opportunity to taste the life that, that Jesus Christ came to give you. That is a life that is abundant and rich and is uh, the abundance and richness that he provides in himself. Mm. Um, and you can come see that and you can begin to see that when you arrive at the place where you recognize that all of those other ways that you're seeking to fill this emptiness in your life. When you come to see that it's all for naught. Um, yesterday, if you didn't uh, listen to my message, yesterday I was talking about someone who was drowning. I was talking about from the perspective of a lifeguard, but I'll, I would equate a person who doesn't know Christ as someone who's drowning, and you may not recognize it. Um, a lifeguard it will not it is trained to not come and save you when you are drowning until you are depleted of all of your energy. They won't do that because as long as you're kicking and flailing, you will bring everyone down who is trying to come save you. But when you are ready to admit, to confess, to surrender, uh 
and acknowledge that you are helpless and that you need help, friend, if you're listening, I promise you, you will find the living God ready and able to help you. Amen. He's not gonna. He's not gonna be there to help you um, when you are still trying to help yourself, and trying to help yourself in every way that is only destroying you. Surrender yourself to Him, and find find Him so ready to welcome you, not to judge you, but to welcome you and to lavish His love upon you. He's ready to do that because he sent his son to take upon himself every last sin you have and will commit in this life. Jesus Christ has paid the price that would take away the wrath of God that you are due for all the ways that you have trespassed against him. Mm. So when you come to him, He's not going to be saying, okay, but you got to, no. He's going to say, come and see. And in that, you will find the greatest embrace of all embraces that you will ever receive. Mm. But you need to come and surrender and trust. Until then, I assure you on the scriptures that God has given to us, you will continue to struggle in this life. You will continue to move from vice to vice to emptiness to emptiness because there's an eternity in your heart that cannot be filled by anyone other than the one who has created you. So I would challenge you with the question, why do you remain in that state? Why do you choose to continue to live a life of emptiness? Because it's really your choice to remain that way. Nothing else left to say, except thank you for joining us today. I am Carlos Garduño. And then we have our lead pastor for First Baptist Church Divine, Pastor Dan Newberg. We will see you next week. And until then, know that you are loved and you are prayed for.